The first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 1. These are the commandments, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses, and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. To Mark 12, verse 28 to 44. One of the teachers of the law came and heard, heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there's no one other but, but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. <clears throat> when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself called him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the place of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came in, sorry, came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples, uh, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. 
This is the word of the Lord. Martin and Ali, thank you so much. If you have a Bible, please keep it open there in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, on page 1018, as we continue our studies um, in the Gospel of Mark. And I'm conscious that I sound very hoarse today, but I, I, I feel okay. I just sound hoarse, so um, um, I hope you'll be able to hear me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words recorded for us in Scripture. And we pray that you would speak these words afresh to each one of us by your Holy Spirit this morning. Please move us to rely on you as our Savior. And please change us so that our lives would be more and more pleasing and useful to you. Amen. I have a theory that people in our culture find it harder and harder to receive criticism. Uh, More and more we find it really difficult to be told that we're getting something wrong. And I was wondering if this was just a British thing. And then yesterday I was at a party with people from other parts of the world, so I asked them, and they said, no, it's not just a British thing, it's everybody. And people were talking about their workplaces and how if they give sort of critical feedback to a colleague. It can be the most enormous dramas and meltdowns. And then we were saying, actually, we ourselves find it hard when people point out something we're doing wrong. We live in a culture where people find it hard to receive criticism. And I suppose the big question I want to ask this morning is how do you respond when Jesus challenges you? You see, Jesus Christ loves us more than anyone else loves us. He wants the best for us. He died for us. And because he loves us so much, Jesus Christ challenges us more than anybody else does. His word in the Bible challenges every part of our lives and challenges us right to the heart. And here in chapters 11 and 12 of Mark's gospel, we're seeing the authority of Jesus to challenge us. You see, Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem as the Christ, the Messiah, God's King with all God's authority. And when he arrives in Jerusalem, he challenges the leaders who were there. He challenges their fruitless worship, their superficial and selfish faith. And those leaders responded to Jesus' challenge by plotting to kill him. Shortly before the reading which we heard today in Mark 12, verse 10, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament to explain what is going on. And he quotes this from the Psalms. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or cornerstone. Now that quote is easy to miss, but it is so important, um, which is why I've drawn these pictures to help us get into it. Now, Before you criticize my artwork, remember what we were just thinking about, how hard it is uh, to receive negative feedback. But I'm trying to explain here what, what is going on in this quote. Jesus is the stone of Psalm 118, and the leaders of Jerusalem are rejecting him. They're throwing him in the skip like that. But Jesus is saying that God is going to make him the capstone or cornerstone. It's the same concept of a new temple, a new people of God. 
Jesus, who was rejected by those leaders, will be made by God the cornerstone of his new people. And that's the second picture. It's not a container ship. Thank you very much. It's Jesus as the cornerstone of the new temple. Well, we're going to hear some challenging teaching from Jesus today. And the question is, how will we respond? Like the leaders of Jerusalem, rejecting his challenge? Or will we instead make him the cornerstone of our lives as he challenges us? So first, we see Jesus' teaching about God's law. Look with me at verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, just before our reading, Jesus has faced two very hostile questions. Uh, The Pharisees and Herodians tried to trick him with a question about paying taxes to Caesar. And then the Sadducees had tried to trap him with a question about the resurrection. But this question is different. The teachers of the law, also called scribes, were the intellectual elite of Israel. Their job was to teach God's Old Testament law and apply it. And over the years, they had added many human traditions to it as well. Generally, the teachers of the law were hostile to Jesus because he challenged their traditions and their power. But this teacher of the law doesn't seem hostile. There's no indication that he's trying to trap Jesus. He noticed that Jesus had given a good answer uh, to the Sadducees. And he asks what I think we can assume is a genuine question. After all, there were hundreds of different commandments in God's law, and he wants to learn from Jesus which is the most important. Well, verse 29, the most important one answered Jesus is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus is saying that the heart of God's law is love. Love for God and love for neighbor. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the law of Moses, which tells us that the Lord our God is the one and only God. He alone is our maker and our sustainer. And so he deserves all of our love. We must love him with all of our hearts, all of our affections, with all of our soul, that's all our inner being, with all of our mind, all of our thinking and understanding, and with all of our strength, with all that we do. In other words, with all that we are. And then Jesus quotes from Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. We are to love those around us with the same kind of love and care that we have for ourselves. Now, some people have misinterpreted Jesus' teaching here and have said, well, that means then that we can ignore the rest of God's law and do whatever we want so long as it seems loving to us. But of course, that's not right. God's law is an indivisible whole. And the whole of God's law teaches us how to love God and how to love our neighbors. That's why Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5 that not the smallest letter can be taken from God's law. Every part of it's needed because the whole of God's law teaches us how to love God with all we are 
and how to love our neighbours as ourselves. And isn't this immensely challenging? Because it shows us that God's law reaches to our hearts and not just our outward actions. As we go on in the Christian life, I think it's terribly easy to, to do the right thing outwardly. Perhaps serving at church or preaching a sermon or cooking a meal, or visiting a friend, or bathing the kids. And we're doing the right thing outwardly, but we're just going through the motions. We're doing it because, well, it's what we do. But the heart of God's law is that we must love him with all that we are, and love our neighbor with a love equal to ourselves. It's so challenging. It's also deeply exciting Because it shows us that God is a God of love and he intends to so change his people and to fill us with this love for him and with this love for each other. Well, verses 32 and 33 show us that the teacher of the law gets it. He agrees with Jesus. He agrees that love for God and love for neighbor is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices, than outward observance. And so see what Jesus says to him in verse 34. We look at verse 34. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now this man was not yet in God's kingdom. Now we enter God's kingdom, we're saved when we turn from our sins and trust in Jesus as our savior. And he's not there yet, but he's not far off because he's humble enough to to learn from Jesus. And he can see that what matters is, is our hearts before God and not just our outward actions. He's not there yet, but he's not far off. And such was the authority of Jesus in, in answering these questions and in pronouncing that this man was not far from the kingdom of God that we see at the end of verse 34. From then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Well, there was a preacher at the turn of the 20th century, a man called R.A. Torrey, Reuben Archer Torrey. And he was preaching in Australia when a very distinguished man approached him and said to him, Mr. Torrey, why do you say that I need Jesus to save me from my sins? I am a respectable and good man. And Torrey looked at him and he said, you are not You have broken the most important of God's commandments. And the man said, murder? How dare you? I have never committed murder. And Torrey said to him, you have also broken the second most important of God's commandments. And the man said, lies. I've never committed adultery. And Torrey said, our Lord Jesus taught us that the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. You have broken them both. And the man stormed off. And then a week later, he came back. And he said to Mr. Torrey, I have broken the two most important commandments of God. How can I be saved? And he put his trust in Christ and he was forgiven. And the Lord Jesus started to change his heart. How do we respond to the challenge of Jesus' teaching about God's law? And it is very challenging. 
we either reject Jesus as over-demanding and unrealistic, or we come to him for forgiveness and his help to change. The challenge of Jesus' teaching about God's law. Well, next we see Jesus' teaching about himself. And we noted that after verse 34, nobody dared ask Jesus any more questions. Uh, So Jesus sets a question of his own uh, in verse 35. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? Isn't it interesting that when Jesus gets to set the topic, he chooses to ask about himself. It just shows us that the most important thing for all of us is to be clear on who Jesus is. Now the word Christ here can also be translated Messiah. It speaks of the long-promised king who God promised in the Old Testament, the rescuer. And the teachers of the law were quite right that the promised Christ would be the son or descendant of David. But he was so much more than just that. These teachers of the law had too small a view of the Christ. And so Jesus again quotes from the Psalms, from Psalm 110, a Psalm of David. David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. We just notice here, and it's very significant, that Jesus recognizes the divine authority of the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus says that when David wrote this psalm, he was speaking by the Holy Spirit. He was guided by God's Spirit to write God's word. We see as we read the Gospels that this was Christ's attitude to the whole Old Testament, the Spirit-inspired word of God. And in this psalm, David talks of the Lord God speaking to my Lord, the Christ. David calls the Christ, my Lord. Now that is a high title indeed. David was the king of Israel. Who would he call Lord? And that word Lord is used in the Old Testament. It's one of the titles that's used for God himself. So Jesus' teaching here in David's words in Psalm 110 stretch our view of who Jesus Christ is. Not just a human descendant of David, but also the divine Lord of the universe who sits at God's right hand ruling over all and one day his enemies will be defeated and put under his feet. And actually, whether we are new to Christian things whether we've been walking with the Lord Jesus for years, we need to keep having our view of Jesus Christ stretched and expanded. I find it really helpful to think about the scale of the universe. And I heard someone put it like this, and it's really helped me. Imagine that the, the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, was just the thickness of one piece of paper. Well, in that case, the distance between the Earth and and the next star after the sun would be a stack of papers 25 metres high, 
right up through the roof. And the width of our galaxy on that scale would be an enormous mountain of paper, 310 miles high. And then remember that our galaxy is actually just a speck of dust in the whole universe. Well, Jesus Christ is the Lord of that universe. He sits at the right hand of God, ruling over it all, sustaining the whole thing. And that's not the kind of person who we can invite into our lives to be our assistant (laughs) or to offer us guidance or to help us with our agenda. If the Lord of the universe is to come into our lives, it must be as Lord. Well, how do we respond to Jesus' challenging teaching about himself? We could either respond by saying, No, that is too challenging. I must retain control of my own life. I don't want a Lord. Or we can respond by saying, yes, Lord, come and be in charge. My time, my relationships, my resources of all that I am. And then, of course, he comes in and he starts to get to work, making us his own. The challenge of Jesus' teaching about God's law The challenge of Jesus' teaching about himself, not just the human son of David, but also the divine Lord of the universe. And now third, and perhaps most challenging of all, Jesus' contrast between the teachers of the law and the widow. Do you notice this contrast here in the last part of our reading? So verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. What an indictment of the teachers of the law. Their faith was all about outward show. They love to impress people with their robes and with their important seats. Even their prayers, verse 40, were for show. And Jesus uses a shocking image. He says that they devour widows' houses. They eat up widows' houses. In other words, they take resources from the neediest and most vulnerable and use those resources to satisfy their own greed. And Jesus says that at God's judgment... People like this will be punished most severely because as teachers of the law, they they knew God's word so well. And yet their faith was outward show. Well, the teachers of the law devoured widows' houses. And then Jesus highlights a widow who is such a contrast to them. So verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. That's the outward show again. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. Well, what were these coins? Uh, We're told they're worth only a fraction of a penny, or literally uh, a fraction of a quadrantes, if that helps at all. Um, I've looked into this a little bit. Each of these coins was a lepton, And I understand that in New Testament times, you might get 10 leptons for an hour's work. So let's call each lepton one pound. 
So here is a widow. She's got two pounds. It's all she had to live on. And she puts it into the temple treasury. And it's so insignificant, so, 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 so challenging rather. Because we're tempted to think what she did was insignificant. You know, what difference is two pounds going to make to the temple? Why did she bother? And we're also tempted to think that what she did was foolish. You know, perhaps she would have been better to keep the two pounds so that she did have something to live on. Whereas Jesus commends her and says that she put in more than all the others. And she put in more because God looks to the heart. And God saw in her heart a heart that was dependent on God, trusting God to meet her needs. And a heart that was devoted to God, giving him all that she had to honor him. Really, it's an example of loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And what a contrast she is to those teachers of the law. Their faith was about outward show. But her faith is total devotion. Now again, this is an enormous challenge to us. How easily, for example, we serve at church, perhaps teaching the children or or, or leading a group. And you know, we've sort of drifted into doing it for outward show. Because we want other people to think well of us. And not because we love God in our hearts. And in contrast, the widow trusted God for all she needed and gave God all that she had. Well, what does it mean for us to follow her example? It probably doesn't mean putting every last penny into the collection box. But it does mean that we put all that we have into God's hands. So we give him all of our time to use for his service in the different ways that he wants us to serve him. We give him all of our, our, our talents to use to glorify him in the different ways that all of our talents can glorify him. And we give him all of our resources to be at his disposal for the building of his kingdom in all those different ways. And wonderfully, it doesn't matter whether our talents are big or little, whether our resources are large or small, because God looks to the heart and he wants to see love for him, a love that trusts him, And puts all we have into his hands. And actually this is what Jesus himself did. The whole reason that Jesus came to Jerusalem. Was so that he could give all that he had and all that he was. In the service of his father. He had come to Jerusalem to give his life. To bear our sins on the cross. So that we can put our faith in him and be forgiven. For our selfishness and pride. So how do you respond when Jesus challenges you? I don't think there's anyone who challenges us as much as Jesus does. I mean, he he loves us so much, but his teaching is so challenging. He points out that God's law is about loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbor as ourself. He challenges us to treat him as, as Lord of our lives. And he challenges us to follow that example of putting all that we have into God's hands. And really, in the end, there are only two possible ways to respond to Jesus' challenging teaching. Remember chapter 12, verse verse 10, that verse we started with? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. 
In the end, either we reject Jesus or make him our cornerstone. Now, if we reject Jesus, we might do it very respectably. We might just stop reading his word or or stop reading parts of it. Or maybe we carry on reading his word, but we just don't do anything with it because it's too challenging. Or maybe we close off parts of our life from his challenge and say that my marriage or my work or my habits are none of his business. However respectably we do it, when we reject Jesus in his challenge, well, it's on the road that leads to God's judgment. But of course, the wonderful alternative to rejecting him is to make him the cornerstone of our lives. And that means depending on him, depending on him to save us, to forgive us, to forgive our failure to love, to forgive our failure to live with him as Lord, to forgive our failure to be devoted to God. And it means depending on him not only to save us, but also to shape us. And so we ask him, Lord, teach us to love as you have required. Teach us to live with you as Lord. Teach us to be totally devoted to God. And wonderfully he does. He gets to work on us until that day when we join him at the right hand of the Father and our whole hearts are filled with love for God and with love for neighbours. Let me give us a moment of quiet as we reflect on the challenge of Christ and on how we respond to his challenge. And then I'll lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you challenge us so much because you love us so much. Please help us, Lord, not to make that terrible mistake of, of rejecting you, rejecting your, your challenge, because it's, it's too demanding. Lord Jesus, we want you to be the cornerstone of our lives and our church. Please forgive us for our failure to love. Thank you that that's why you came to Jerusalem, to die for our sins. And Lord, please shape us and fill us with this kind of love for God and neighbor. Teach us to live with you as Lord. Teach us to be totally devoted to you. And Lord, we thank you for that day when in glory, at last, we and all your people will love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbour as ourselves. Amen.